My name is Alex Benfield. I'm one of the hotels for marriage and disability classes in San Francisco. I'd like to welcome you to our um, Zoom virtual meet, public meeting for um, September 20th. 2022. <clears throat> um, say, please, do I want to call? Okay. Um, for roll for roll call, we have Alex Madrid. Here's Orchid Sasuni. He's absent today, Iman. Okay. Sherry Albers. Present. Denise Senhal. Helen Smolinski. Present. Jashawn Lewis Wood Woods. Present. Ananya Tandon Verma. He is also absent today. And that concludes our roll call. Thank you. Um, can you please be done, Jenda? Yes. So for today's agenda. We have item number one, welcome and roll call. Item number two, reading and approval of the agenda. Item number three, general public comment. Item number four, the co-chair report. Item number five is a report from the mayor's office on disability. Item number six is a Vision Zero SF action strategy update just presented by UN Go and Vincent Romero from the SFMTA. Item number seven is Vision Zero San Francisco, Safe Streets for Older Adults and People with Disabilities, presented by Patricia Irwin from the Department of Public Health. Item number eight is possible increases in taxi meter rates and impact on paratransit taxi fares. Presented by Forrest Barnes from the SFMTA. Item nine is correspondence. Item 10 is general public comment. Item 11, council member comments and announcements. Item 12 is adjournment. Thank you. And now we are going to. Um, Public comment, uh, can you please open the meeting for general public comment? Okay, we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There'll be an opportunity for public comment at the beginning and end of the meeting, as well as after specific items on MDC agendas. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Although comments may be limited to two minutes when there's a long queue of people waiting to make comments. 
At the end of the comment period, we will move on to the next commenter. If, the count, if you want the council to respond to your comments after the meeting, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request. You may also provide additional comments by email to this address or by calling 415-554-6789. Members of the public can join the meeting as a Zoom webinar participant and will be able to make public comment directly during the comment period. <coughs> Members of the public can join the webinar by using the Zoom link. They can also join the webinar using a telephone by dialing in 669-900 6833 with the webinar ID 8541955-0368. If you join the webinar using uh, your computer or tablet Zoom app, click on the raise hand icon and you'll be recognized when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you join by phone, dial star nine when you want to be recognized and you will be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. We welcome suggestions about how to make the MDC meetings more accessible. Please send an email to mod at sfgov.org. If you need assistance accessing the meeting, please call 415-919-9562 or send an email to mdc at sfgov.org. So at this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on the meeting agenda. For agenda items, you will have an opportunity to address the council. For, for agenda items, you will have the opportunity to address the council. When one, the, moment, one moment, uh, there we go. So for agenda items, you'll have an opportunity to address the council when the item is reached during this meeting. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised by public comment. So at this time, I do see multiple members of the public with their hands raised. Mr. The first caller of commenters, please. All right. So the first commenter, Albert, you've been permitted to unmute. Hello, Moe, Mayor's Office of Disability uh, um, Council. I would just like to uh, thank you for, the, I know the sacrifice, the hard work you guys do to uh, help the disabled community. And I am very uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully being uh, appointed by the mayor's office uh, to uh, 
the mayor's office, uh, mayor's disability council, um, such as your, uh, to help you uh, fulfill the, the need and the service for the disabled community and, uh, you know, born and raised in the city. Uh, and uh, there's a great need for this. And I was a carpenter for 26 years. I got a certificate in construction management at CDC Berkeley. And I went to college San Mateo and, got, and uh, took two courses. In, well, actually, I actually went to all the courses, but two in an ADA. And uh, I have a, a a, a, a passion for uh, helping the save. Uh, right now I'm at Janet Palmer Pool, although I'd rather be at meeting in person. Um, I help a lot of uh, kids here in the pool and art, and I have two, three kids that are disabled, and, uh, but now I'm 60 years old and I'm getting older and the kids are all doing their own thing. So I would really like to um, be in a native San Francisco Station Valley, and I own a house in Florida District. Uh, there's a great need for this uh, service for the public, but it is, extremely cumbersome now that it's on web webcam um i really believe as soon as possible that you go back live in public uh i've watched on tv every single meeting you guys have i know next month you're not having one but uh you know we need to get back to normalcy um nobody's in office and one person and uh i just want to make sure that everybody knows that uh it's it's got to be getting close to time to go back to work at, uh, um, and everybody shows up at actually on Market Street at the mode. Um, I highly encourage it, and I, and I pray that that happens for everybody, for the public, uh, and that we get back to normalcy. And uh, that's out of my control. I understand that, but I'm just praying and hoping that that happens because uh, this is extremely cumbersome. I've been up since one thirty in the morning just trying to, you know, catch up to all everything going on and. Uh, so that's all I have to say, and I, I look forward to working with you guys if possible, if God's willing, you know, and uh, have a lot of experience with ADA and uh, the parks and advocating for ADA. So um, just thank you for all you guys' hard work. I know you guys have been on this for a while, years now, so uh, thank you. That's all I have to say. Thank you for the comment. Um, the, before we go to the next matter, um, is it okay to post the timer to the public so the people can and then if I want they need to stop. Um, I apologize. I had a technical problem. I will have that up in just a second. Thank you for your patience. Let us know David if, if while we are waiting for the timer, I'd like to remind the public that if you want to make public comment at this time, you can raise your hand by clicking on the raise hand icon, or if you're calling in by phone, by dialing star nine. And I met, I think we are ready for the next commentary. One more minute. Sorry, I apologize.
I think we could continue with the reminder that general public comment is three minutes. And let's let's continue. Let's continue, please. All right. Um, I might please um, proceed to the next conversation. All right. Um, Howard, you've been permitted to unmute. Hi, yes, thank you. Can people, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, can. great. Thank you. Hi, Howard Chabner. Good afternoon. Um, <clears throat> since the 24 by 7 closure of the JFK drive to cars, <laughs> it's been a very big hardship for disabled people, seniors, people who live far from Golden Gate Park and need cars to get there, including people in the Bayview and Hunters Point and so forth, but also people outside of San Francisco. It's also been a hardship for families with multiple children and carrying various things. Um, also, the great the closure of the Great Highway to Cars has been a hardship, even though it has been reopened part of the time. Um, it's also, uh, when it's closed, people climb all over the dunes and the, the uh, uh, the sand is getting all over the place. Plus, when it's closed, there's 20,000 cars in the Sunset District uh, in what used to be quiet neighborhoods. Um, together with various other disabled people, I've been involved in the campaign for Proposition I. Proposition I will, will be on the November ballot, and it would basically bring things to the way they were pre-pandemic with JFK Drive being open for cars except on Sundays, half the Saturdays of the year and holidays. And with the Great Highway being open for cars 24-7. Um, I, I would like to invite everyone to please support Proposition I. You can do that by going on our website, uh, www.access, the number four, all, sf.com again www.access the number four all i'm sorry all sf.com so i'll say it again www.access the number four the word all sf.com and there you can um volunteer you sign up to volunteer you can donate you can sign up to get more information um uh, so it's really important. Um, uh, one way to remember our ballot measure is Proposition I, I for inclusion. There is also a competing measure that would make the 24-7 closure of JFK permanent. So that's called J. So yes on I, no on J. Again, that's I for inclusion. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Do we have any more public comment at this time? I do not see any other members of the public indicated that they want to make public comment at this time. Thank you. Um, at this time, we are moving to item number four, which is forty reports, um, which I'm going to report that um, last month in August, um, Marissa Disability Council done 
didn't have a public meeting, but we have an internal retreat. And with that retreat, there is an outcomes of the retreat include um, identify of topics that for the coming year, some of those topics are um, ongoing, some of them like Golden Gate Park accessibility, enforcement of accessibility requirements for shared spaces, sidewalks, um, accessibility and safety, especially monitoring of e-scooters on sidewalks, and um, also just some uh, um, topic on TNC accessibility deployment options for people with disability within San Francisco government housing accessibility and availability establishment of the disability community cultural center digital accessibility and others. <clears throat> also um, on the retreat, there were an um, identification issues of individual members and disability members to champion for these topics. The last thing that I wanna Report is that we want to make sure people are aware that MDC will announce the reception of this year's Bob Plan Hold Beacon Award next month at the November public meeting board nomination from the public can made online or by calling the MDC phone number at 415 um, does include my report. Now we are going to item number five, which is reports from the mayor's office of on the disability. Nicole, which is Nicole Van, which is um, the mayor's disability um, director. Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. I am just going to uh, pull up my report. 
thank you, uh, thank you uh, everybody for being here and for uh, listening today. And I just pulled up the wrong document. Hang on a second. <clears throat> okay, so um, the full report for today, September 23, will be posted on our the uh, Mayor's Office on Disability website under What's New, and also as part of the Mayor's Disability Council's website. So for a full report, um, please do refer there. Uh, we'll have it up um, hopefully by uh, early next week. Uh, for now, I'm just gonna highlight a few of the uh, things that have occurred over the last months, starting with some legislative updates. This is not a, a complete list of legislative updates uh, we'll, that will be posted as part of the report, but there's just a few things that I wanted to mention uh, specifically to some of the legislation we've been tracking uh, with you over the last months uh, related to shared spaces, uh, the outdoor dining program. I wanted to let you know that the legislative program uh, that requires um, full uh, accessibility, the applications for permits for the legislative program, which begins in March of 2023, are underway now. Uh, we have also um, begun a public service announcement specifically about disability access, and uh, filming of that is still to be scheduled. I may be uh, approaching a few of the Mayor's Disability Council members uh, for that effort. Related to e-scooter safety that um, Co-Chair Madrid mentioned, there is a revised resolution from Supervisor Peskin. The reference number will be in the posted version of the report, but just wanted to let you know that this uh, revised and new resolution further uh, works towards uh, speed reduction and uh, sidewalk violation um, improvements around uh, e-scooters that are not allowed to be on the sidewalks. The next thing I'm going to move to some state legislation. Um, the, uh, the ones that I want to highlight for today are uh, we are uh, continuing uh, work together with SFMTA on advocacy and uh, information around a possibilities for accessible autonomous vehicles. Uh, this rule uh, making or the, uh, the process rather is regulated as a reminder by the California Public Utilities Commission and the Department of Motor Vehicles, not the city. So the way that we are able to participate is through public comment. Public comment has not yet been uh, announced for the upcoming proceedings, but as it is, it will be uh, announced. And please do track the uh, Mayor's Office on Disability uh, announcements for that. Uh, as a reminder to sign up for those, if you don't already receive them, you go to sfgov.org slash MOD, and then uh, click on subscribe to our newsfeed. Related to transportation network companies, those are the vehicles like Uber and Lyft. These proceedings are ongoing. We are formally part of this proceeding as the Mayor's Office on Disability, along with 
SFMTA and along with uh, the uh, County Transportation Authority as well. Uh, right now, the proceedings are focused on ongoing uh, on-time and reduced wait time performance for people with disabilities. This month, there's a few federal uh, things that I wanted to make you aware of. The spring 2022 unified agenda of the Department of Justice was just announced um, and that they plan to propose new regulations on the following topics. So this is advanced notice of proposed rulemaking on several things. One is medical diagnostic equipment. Other is other equipment and furniture. Um, and then there's also notice of proposed rulemaking on web accessibility, and then also on sidewalks, curb ramps, street crossings, and other pedestrian facilities. When you have these notice of proposed rulemaking, there's opportunity here too to make um, public comment as members of the disability community, of the deaf and disability community. If you'd like to sign up to get alerts for when that public comment period is available, um, you can go to ada.gov and on the bottom right, there's a place to sign up for ada.gov email updates. And I highly encourage the public, if you're at all interested in this level of participation, to uh, do so, um, so that folks are hearing from as many people with disabilities as possible. I also wanted to say on the federal level that the Mayor's Office on Disability has been, it is part of a national um, consortium of other Mayor's Office on Disabilities in the country. And we're working on a collective national request to the Department of Transportation Secretary Buttigieg related to transportation and uh, accessibility of the airlines, ramped uh, taxis, TNCs and a uh, autonomous vehicles and other things. We expect that letter to be complete and ready to be endorsed and sent to the Department of Transportation uh, in the next few weeks. So I'll be, I'll happily report back on that in the October meeting. Now I'd like to go move to a few upcoming events and announcements. Uh, first, I'd like to uh, introduce um, uh, Tess uh, Bartlett. Tess, if you're on and you're willing to come on camera, uh, that's great. If you don't have access to your camera, if you can just say hi. I'm going to uh, announce uh, just a little bit of uh, what Tess is doing. Tess Bartlett is the uh, Mayor's Office on Disability 2022-2023 San Francisco Fellow. So she'll be with us for a year. We are very excited. This is our first San Francisco uh, Fellow that MOD has had. Tess will be working on architectural barrier removal tracking based on those things identified by departments and those elevated through complaints. And uh, she'll make recommendations to departments and to the Capital Planning Committee. And then also she'll be working on uh, complaints and concerns based strategic plan for training and development for our departmental ADA coordinators. Um, and we do anticipate that you'll have, and she'll have opportunity for public engagement responsive to these concerns, especially related to the need for training. And she'll be part of these MDC meetings as well. And I hope the uh, MDC can, uh, considers allowing some time for Tess to give a presentation uh, when uh, we're ready for that. So you can uh, be uh, 
updated as to what we're doing. So hello, Tess. I don't know if you want to say anything uh, more or just wave and say hello. It's up to you. Uh, but we're so happy that you're you're with us this year. Um, yeah, I'll just hop on and say that I'm really excited to be working with the mayor's office on disability. Um, and I'm excited to be able to make an impact in the disability community. Um, and it's been great working with everyone so far. And I'm looking forward to more meetings. Great. Thank you so much, Jess. And I will say the SF uh, Fellows process, for those of you who don't know, is extremely competitive. Uh, both in um, being one of the 26 fellows and then also finding the right match. So we're very excited to have uh, Tess with us. Welcome, Tess, and thank you for being uh, here today. I just have a few more announcements, and then we'll move to uh, agenda items, and then that will be all for me. A few more announcements, though. First of all, the request for proposals for the operation of the Disability Community Cultural Center is underway. The city right now is in the process of verifying the accessibility of some of the internal documents and the final due dates may be adjusted uh, to that. And as soon as we have the uh, all of the finalized information, we will be posting it to the distribution list. It's open to groups of individuals and organizations to apply the final application dates are in November 2022. This is very exciting. As far as we are aware, this is the only municipal disability community cultural center uh, in the country, which will be happening in conjunction with the Kelsey Housing Development Project. This is very exciting. And then uh, finally, no date to be an, uh, announced yet, but the city and county of San Francisco is having a career fair specifically for people with disabilities, which is expected in October as part of National Disability Employment Awareness Month. So uh, be on the lookout for that date. So a few more things I wanted to mention as you're considering your agenda for the coming months, the Aging and Disability Affordable Housing Needs Assessment, the draft is near complete. Um, the Mayor's Office on Disability has been part of the steering committee along with the Mayor's Office on Housing and Community Development, Disability and Aging Services, and Homelessness and Supported Housing. And so there are uh, 10 findings and multiple recommendations under each finding, which is expected to be presented to the Board of Supervisors in November. So I, I really hope that you can hold space on your agenda for that uh, when it's ready to be presented to the public because it will, ha it will have deep impact on folks with disabilities. Uh, and so we'd want them to know um, what's happening there. Similarly, the digital inclusion and uh, policy, which includes uh, website accessibility is uh, underway. Uh, and so please consider agendizing that. And then the, rem the remaining items that I have for the report are ones that I've uh, mentioned before, which is to keep an eye on hybrid public meeting participation and accessible co public comment efforts. And then that also as, um, as, the uh, as November rolls out, we understand more about what will be happening with streets, 
um, the continuation of slow streets efforts. And the final announcement that I wanted to make for our uh, consideration is to uh, think about um, safe passage in your planning efforts. In August, the mayor's office on disability presented to uh, the emergency management policy group on disability impacts of street conditions for those trying to pass safely on the sidewalks and for those who are living on the streets who have disabilities. Progress is being made in this area, but the council is encouraged to place the item on an upcoming public agenda uh, so that you can learn more. And that is where I will uh, stop for today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Director Bannon and on behalf of the Glasson Rebecca Butes and Riddle Ford, welcome with you. Um, so now we are moving along to item number six, which is a presentation by um, everyone. Igor and Vincent Momero from San Francisco MTN, they're going to discuss um, or presenting as a vision seal, a seven action strategies update program to the concept. <laughs> Great, thank you so much. Um, good afternoon. My name is Wen Ngo. Um, my pronouns are she and her, and I am the Vision Zero um, Acting Program Manager here at SFMTA. Also joining me is uh, Jamie Parks, who is our Global Streets Director, and Vicente Romero, who will help co-present. As a reminder, Vision Zero is a citywide commitment to eliminate traffic deaths. And I'm going to move on to the next slide, just a second. There are a lot of windows going on right now. So the Vision Zero Action Strategy is released by the mayor's office and outlines the steps the city will take to reach um, Vision Zero. This, uh, the last action strategy was released last year in 2021 and is our fourth update. Today, we're going to share progress updates on the 2021 Vision Zero Action Strategy. And I'm going to pass it along to Vicente for the next couple of slides. There we go, I'm mute. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna present some updates on three items, uh, the quick build program, uh, high injury network, and then the traffic calming program. And then I will pass it on to Wentu, um, and she will give other updates on other efforts. Next slide. Um, so one of our big, biggest commitments in our action strategy um, was to make sure that we get through all the entire uh, high injury network uh, um, with quick building improvement uh, by 2024. Uh, that is where we're focusing our, our efforts. And since the Quilbit program started in 2019, it's been three years, we have completed 27 um, um, 
uh, goodwill um, corridors. Uh, there is one uh, right now in construction phase at Evans Avenue, and there is more, 15 more in, in the planning and design phase. So altogether, it's around 70 miles, over 70 miles of sa traffic safety improvements uh, throughout San Francisco. And our goal now is to work on the remaining uh, 80 miles of the high injury network. Um, next slide. Um, so quick build projects are lower cost and reversible uh, projects and primarily consist of paint and signage and parking or loading uh, adjustments. And as you can see here, uh, through, through this program, we have installed 12 transit boarding islands, uh, close to 120 uh, painted safety zones and more than 12 miles of, of new or upgraded bikeways. Um, next slide. And our quick build program changes constantly. So, but at the moment, these are some of the projects that we're working on. Um, as I said before, uh, the project in Evans Avenue, where we're creating new bike facilities and improved intersections. Um, Franklin Street, uh, we're, we're focusing on pedestrian safety and reducing speeds. And then our project in Bayshore Boulevard, where we're gonna improve traffic safety and strengthen the bike ne network around the area. Uh, next slide. This is another project that we're about to start. Like I said before, we're trying to get to the full high injury network with quick build improvements, uh, but we wanna make sure that we apply the right, the right safety tool, at the right street. So we design and pilot this, uh, this template to collect and assess conditions on remaining uh, eight miles or, or so of the high injury network. Uh, we just hired a consultant to support this analysis and it should be ready in, in six months. Next slide. Um, so the high injury network, as I said before, guides the city's investment in infrastructures and programs. And it also ensures that Vision Zero projects support them, uh, those neighborhood or those people most in need. Um, next slide. Um, so this is a data-driven program and, and high injury network is where we're focusing our work. Uh, the first high injury network that we had, we had it in 2015 and we use police records uh, for that uh, network. The first update happened in 2017, and at that time we used police records and hospital records as well, which accounts, these, the hospital record data accounts for around 20% of our data. Um, this data captures injuries that are not reported to the police. And so right now we're working on the second update. Uh, we, we're using, again, police records and medical records or hospital records uh, with 2019 and 2021 uh, data. We're, for this effort, we're partnering with the Department of Public Health uh, because they have access to both the police records and the hospital data. So right now, um, we're working on inconsistencies and data quality across our city departments. We have already set up a te technical advisory committee internally um, where we review uh, the new draft and, and the methodology. And then once we have completed that internal review, we expect to reach out to our community constituents probably in October or November to participate in our community advisory committee. Uh, next slide. 
the last piece that I will cover is the traffic calming program and another commitment that we made in the um, in the action strategy is to make sure that we install at least a hundred traffic calming devices every year. Uh, traffic calming devices are basically bumps on the road that make vehicles to slow down. I'm talking about speed humps or speed cushions or race crosswalks. Next slide. And as you can see here in the graphic, uh, as of August of 2022, we have already completed uh, nearly 200 traffic calming devices in 2022, and we are on our, on, our, on our way to break our record, as you can see there, of 2021. Uh, the traf this traffic calming program started in the late 70s, and it comes from applications from residents who apply for the program. Then we measure the speed, and then we apply speed humps or another uh, traffic calming device. This program is still very important to us, but we also recognize that waiting for people to identify problems creates inequities in terms of which neighborhoods are more likely to apply. So in addition to this traffic calming program, uh, we have the proactive traffic calming program that, is, that started in 2018, and where we are proactively installing traffic calming devices around, around schools, senior centers, parks, and libraries. For instance, in the Excel store, we installed uh, nearly 100 traffic calming devi devices. The inner and central, central Richmond, we install around eight pedestrian refugee islands and nearly 50 traffic calming devices. And this year, uh, this time in Visitacion Valley and Portola, we are expecting to install 66, 66 traffic calming devices by, by the summer of 2023. Um, and so with that, I'll turn over to Wen to talk about other uh, updates and other items and projects that we're working on. Thank you, Vicente. So another one of our commitments in the Vision Zero Action Strategy is to develop a, to, is to develop a speed management plan. That draft is underway and will help identify tools um, that we can effectively deploy to slow speeds and save lives. So whether that's through education or traffic calming that Vicente just mentioned or engineer, engineering treatments like road diets or speed limit reductions on the streets. Um, that's what will be included in the plan. Um, but we don't want to wait for it to be finalized. Um, in a, at the same time as we're drafting the plan, we are actually out in the street um, implementing tools that we will believe will help slow streets, slow speeds on our streets, such as um, the speed limit reduction work, our 20 mile per hour implementation. So we have over 75 miles of 20 mile per hour zones planned, um, which includes the work that we recently did in the whole neighborhood of Tenderloin, which is in the gold shaded lines on the map on your left. Um, in addition to um, the new legislation authority we have under Assembly Bill 43, um, which allows uh, local jurisdictions um, throughout California to slow speeds in cities. And so that is shown in the map on your left in the blue and the red. So we're leading the, the state in this implementation in addition to other cities like Oakland and San Jose. Um, as of January, sorry, as of mid-September, we've already completed 15 quarters um, with new speed limit signs 
And we have another eight that are actively in construction and are working really hard on the next set for legislation and, and review. So with that 20 mile per signage that you may see in your neighborhoods, we are also pairing it with education and outreach. Um, so very similar to um, the Tenderloin, you'll see uh, transit shelter ads, these um, mini billboards, we'll be also be doing direct outreach, and you'll also see um, digital advertising going out in multiple languages. If you happen to go to the DMV office to get your real ID or other paperwork, you may also see um, this uh, Vision Zero speeding PSA. Um, we're able to put in all California offices um, and the DMV. One of our other commitments in the Vision Zero Action Strategy is to make sure all our high injury network um, intersections have high visibility crosswalks and daylighting. We're making really good progress on that. We're happy to report that 90% of our intersections have daylighting with this uh, red striping near the intersection that you see in the photo on your left. That's over 250 intersections on the high injury network have that. And we're also at 95% um, of intersections that have continental crosswalks, um, very similar to that photo on the right that you see. We also have several um, commitments in the action strategy related to our traffic signals. Um, so whether it's slowing down the timing to a walk speed of three seconds, or having um, like crosswalk head starts, otherwise known as leaving pedestrian intervals with the cross sign, crosswalk sign before the light turns, um, and having pedestrian countdown signals as well as accessible pedestrian signals. So these are the latest statistics um, that we have from our traffic signals team. We also have a commitment in the action strategy to evaluate the uh, no turn on red pilot that we put installed in the Tenderloin recently. And we're happy to report that the studies from that pilot were really positive, especially for keeping our crosswalks clear and for reducing um, close calls between people walking and motor vehicles. So given these findings, we are gonna go ahead and expand the pilot to our the 20 mile per hour work that I recently shared in the, in the previous slides. Um, we're really excited about that because we think these turn restrictions will be most um, impactful and meaningful where there are high volumes of people walking. So these business corridors where we're installing the 20 mile per hour signage are good candidates. We're also expanding our left turn traffic calming project, which we also recently piloted. Um, we've secured funding to expand it um, and planning is underway. We have an, an initial list that we're vetting with our, through many internal teams at MTA, our engineers, our transit and paratransit um, groups, and also with the fire department. Um, and we hope to be installing those locations soon. And this is a photo um, at Ellis and Leavenworth um, from the pilot. Can you um, describe the photo for some people can see the photo? Thank yes, you. so the photo has um, an example of the pilot treatments that we put to slow drivers turning left. 
So for example, we will harden the center line with um, these min mini rubber speed bump treatments and uh, delineators. In addition, to, um, at the corners of the intersections, if you're imagining a, a car turning left, um, we have like a slow turn wedge where we have rubber speed bumps placed at a 90 degree angle, again, to encourage drivers to slow down when they're taking the turn. Uh, moving on to our motorcycle safety program. Um, motorcyclists are one of our vulnerable road users. Um, when we look at traffic fatalities, um, they often rise to the top. And so we have a grant funded program uh, that is in partnership with the police department to provide um, free uh, half day urban skill safety riding trainings um, geared towards beginners or motorcyclists who are returning to um, riding versus another way of getting around the city. And in the photos on the left, you'll see a photo from one of our August trainings um, with people riding on motorcycles, practicing going very slow. And on the right is just another photograph as well uh, with the motorcycle traffic company uh, where they have um, set up traffic cones and circuits for people to practice additional skills um, like starting and stopping or other evasive maneuvers. We completed eight trainings this year, reaching about 100 participants, and we are excited to continue that program. Um, another part of the Vision Zero program is uh, uh, advancing auto autonomous vehicle safety. And so recently, uh, the SFMTA submitted a comment letter to the US Department of Transportation on their new car assessment program. And, and we called out in our letter uh, recent studies documenting direct links between a vehicle size or speed and weight in its contribution to the rising traffic deaths that we're seeing. So in our letter, we're encouraging this new car assessment program, in addition to incorporating the techno uh, te technology changes that they are planning to, but also to encourage them for their five-star safety rating system to make sure if a vehicle does receive a five-star that they score highly and other safety features that are really important to reducing traffic fatalities. Um, for example, um, intelligent speed assistance uh, installations that automatically reduce high speeds or like unsafe speeds um, or addressing, giving more marks to cars that address blind spots um, when cars are turning left, like there's a, a blind spot in your windshield area. Um, this is uh, the annual severe injuries report is something produced by our Department of Public Health partners every year. And um, looking, it combines again, police and hospital data um, to look at our severe injury trends. And the last one was uh, published in September of last year. And we are anticipating to have that data set soon and hopefully to release the next report um, in spring 2023. And that is the end of the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nguyen and Rosette.
No, I'm going to take over for, to my final, final question for questions. Um, please raise your hand or tell me if you have any questions. Um, Helen, go ahead on your question. Thank you. Thank you so much for that wonderful presentation. Really, it makes me feel good to be a San Francisco resident with young kids and, and having lived here for over 20 years. And, you know, the joke in my family is that our second car is me walking. Like I literally walk everywhere. Um, so this makes me feel really good. And, and I, I want to say kudos to you and the team um, for all your good work. Please know it's appreciated and it's saving lives for sure. Um, I, I, one of my children is in a wheelchair and uh, while we take public transportation and um, certainly the wheelchair accessible uh, Ubers and Lyfts, um, my preference really is to walk with her and, and push her in her chair. And simple things from curb cutouts to less simple things like the, the, those barriers you mentioned about helping people turn, you know, a protected left really make a difference. So thank you. Thank you, Helen. Um, Denise, go ahead. Um, thank you very much, Alex. Um, I also piggyback on what fellow council member Alice um, said about thank you for your excellent presentation and how Vision Zero uh, in its attempt to make this safe people with disabilities seniors. I really want to thank you for that. I'm also very excited when you talked about your speed management plan around your program around AB 43 in um, educating uh, to address the speed issues, you know, in association with some of the fatalities, unfortunately, that still exist. And that was one of my major concerns beside the um, existing education you have now around, you know, traffic calming devices, et cetera. And I think this is a very um, pointed point around um, speed issues to educate drivers to, to be safe and to understand seniors, people, disabilities, children, dogs, everyone needs to cross the street. And I have a... Helen. I'm Denise Merton. I will ask you. Did you did you see me now? No, I'm you cut you off. You cut off. Oh, oh, we're cut off. Can you hear me at all? Yeah. Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. So anyhow, uh, where I left off is I'm very excited about uh, you coming back and give us the data and feedback on the speed management plan to see, um, you know, the numbers about, you know, safety around education, driver awareness. Did this you cut off again? 
Thank you. Thank goodness. Are there any council members um, questions at this time? No, okay. Um, before I turn over to the staff, I have some questions to you both. One of them is that I know that if they put a barrier between sidewalk or the bicycle um, barriers to vehicle, I know that there was a discussion or some things related to that, that some barriers is uh, it's, it's hard to see or can you um, tell us about what did you find out of how do you implementing those things when it comes to safety uh, and making sure all of people with disability can use or identify those the barriers between the vehicle and the bike, the bike section. I just want to make sure I understand your question. It was about uh, bicyclists and people with disabilities and how to prevent those conflicts between no. bikes and vehicles. No, I'm talking about the the barriers. The, the the barriers lane between you know the sidewalk and then there was and then next to the sidewalk there's a, a lane for the bikes right and then between the bike and the vehicle there's a, the barriers um there's a, a lane between to identify, do not cross this, or you're going to go to the vehicle side or to the um, um, basket lane. Get, get it? And then I'm talking about the back. Um, if someone can help me say the word that I'm trying to say. Maybe the, the parking protected bike lane? Yes, yes. Yeah. And so like, how, how are we making sure that people with disabilities can also use the road safely yes. next to these? And making sure that, that, that lane or that particular thing is accessible. I know we had, I'll start the question and I might ask Jamie Parks to help me provide more information as I know we had a working group through WACSF specifically on things like parking protected bus lanes or um, sorry, parking protected bike lanes and how to ensure we're keeping people with disabilities in mind when we're building them. And I'm just gonna pause to see if Jamie has additional information to share. This is to the chair. I think Alex, we have a, 
we have a getting to the curb document that WACASF uh, presented to uh, SFMTA that was uh, a bunch of folks with disabilities worked on this document. If you can maybe speak to how you're incorporating those uh, recommendations into your planning, I, I believe that's what Alex is, is referring to. If I'm misrepresenting you, Alex, please uh, let me know. Yes, uh, yes. And I just want to add to Nicole is that just making sure that protective thing is reasonable and not going to trip over or, or trip someone that has a cane and make it so it's um, accessible to all people with disability or non-disabled people too. So, Jamie or Vicente or Norman? Um, um, yes, so uh, Jamie Parks with SFMTA oversee our Livable Streets Division. I think I think Wynn Vicente and I are all showing up with Wynn's name. I don't know if I can rename or not. Let's see, I think we all use the same link. Let's see. There. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so we have been building uh, the parking protected bike lanes in San Francisco now for about five years. Uh, we started in, I guess, actually 2016, so six years, and we've learned a lot in that time. Um, there, as Nicole mentioned, uh, we did work with WalkSF and a number of, of advocates on a report called Getting to the Curb in 2019. I tried to put that in the chat, but I think I, I, I don't think I can message it to everybody. I think I just sent it to Nicole, um, but, we, but we can circulate that report. But that's been a guiding principle for us. A few of the things that we do when we design protected bike lanes is one is, you know, where we have um, transit stops or the boarding islands. Uh, we want to make sure that there are clearly marked crosswalks across the bike lane from the island, from the transit stop to the sidewalk. And so we have, we have the clearly marked crosswalks also narrow the bike lane when it gets to the island to kind of force cyclists to slow down when they get to the conflict points. Um, then along, I think you mentioned the concern with tripping hazards and, you know, access from parked vehicles to the sidewalk across the bike lane. Um, we worked a lot on the specific designs of what we call the, the buffer space. So there's, you know, there's the bike lane and the parked cars, and then there's a buffer space between the, the parked cars and the bike lane. And so with that, you know, we've made sure that we don't place tripping hazards there. Um, we also make that buffer um, wide enough that a person in a wheelchair can navigate along the, the that buffer area between the parked cars and the bike lane without getting into the bike lane. Hey, Jamie, so, I guess my question too is that, is that I just want to make sure that protective barrier is accessible to all people and making sure that people with a cane 
can identify is the bottom before um, getting into the street. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yes. Yes. Um, and so that that is that is a shared goal that we have. And without trying to explain too many detailed design treatments, yeah, um, we have we have worked very hard to do that. And I think if and we also are always tweaking those designs. And so if there's a particular bikeway or location that's not working for whatever reason, you know, we're we're often you know, changing, say, how many plastic posts we have or where they're placed or how wide the bike lane is or adding signs, removing signs. So we're we're happy to take feedback on specific locations that may not be working for folks as well as they should. Thank you for that. I guess this is the last question I have on this follow-up question. When, when, it's, when it's a science, that's related to the um, predictive thing or? Um, yeah, so we may have probably less. So we may have signs that indicate to cyclists what to do. I think more than signs, we really use pavement markings. And so we will often, you know, in addition to the crosswalk marking, in the bikeway itself, we'll put in stencils that say, you know, slow pedestrian crossing, or, you know, we have a school loading zone on, on Valencia and it says slow school. So we use pavement markings, actually more than signs, even though I said signs, um, but we found that people biking are more likely to see what's written on the ground in front of them as they bike over it than they are to look up at a sign on the sidewalk that they might not even see. Okay. Thank you. Now, um, would ask the staff if there is any questions for the presenter. Uh, I'll go first. Thank you. Thank you, Alex, for all of those questions. They're very important, and I'm glad we spent some time on that. Um, one thing I just wanted to uh, say that um, if if someone uh, who has access can put the getting to the curb document in the Q and A box or in the public chat so that other folks tracking the meeting uh, can see that document. For, for those of you who are watching on SFGov TV, it is on uh, Walk SF's website. It's the 2019 Getting to the Curve Report, uh, final Walk SF 2019 uh, document if you're interested in looking it up. Um, I was just, I uh, wanna echo everybody's thanks and uh, for all of the good work that you're doing and, and Really, uh, my my question just mostly for members of the public who might be curious is what is the best way to take public feedback, especially from people with disabilities? How do you want to receive that? I'd love to hear your preferences there. And also just want to continue to encourage you as you're giving the public presentations. I know uh, that we do, we're, we're really, uh, on the ground with a lot of this. And we're uh, just to really encourage everyone to make sure that we're presenting this information in as many different ways um, as possible, not just visually, but also in what we're, what we're speaking and what we're talking about so that it can be as accessible to as many folks with disabilities as you can. 
it can be. Uh, but if you could speak to a minute to the best way for the uh, members of the public to uh, provide feedback about uh, Vision Zero, that would be excellent. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah, we're always happy to get emails um, either to the Vision Zero SF at sfmta.com email. We're also happy to take emails through the mayor's office on disability. I'm sure you, you have a closer ear to the ground on what are the, the top concerns. And so that's another way to pass along your, for members of the public to pass on your feedback. If you don't mind um, putting that information to the chat, thank you. Um, are there any other public um, staff members has questions? Okay, if none, please please open up to public comment. Okay, as a reminder to the public, if you would like to make public comment, you can raise your hand by clicking on the raise hand icon, or if you're calling in by phone, you can dial star nine and you'll be prompted when it's your turn. I do see at least one member of the public interested in making public comment. So at this time, Albert, you've been permitted to unmute. Hello, this is Albert Sanders again. You know, I live in the Southeast all my life. I've lived in the Vistation Valley for 18 years where my parents raised eight kids. And then I moved to Excelsior, so District 9, 10, and then I was in 11. Now I'm in 10. I'm a, I own a house in Portland District uh, or right across from this uh, playground at Clarence Park. And we have an issue with all the schools and the parks, just like the, the gentleman was saying, that they put lines down in the mission on the Lester Street on the uh, thick lines, markings, and also uh, uh, slow down. And we need that around the Church of St. Louis, Church of Vistation, uh, Epiphany, then we need to buy all the schools, the public schools, the private schools. They uh, privatized uh, St. Elizabeth School, and it's uh, like, I don't know, $60,000 for kids to go there per year. So you know there's all rich kids coming. The families are well-to-do. There's no lines there. I go to church every day, seven days a week, and I have to help the elderly walk our street. I see, I, you know, I know they put the slow down, those little delineators and the you know slow streets but that's not working they need to put more lines the bright yellow lines also on 24th street i mean uh i go to a over there by la palma and by saint peter's uh it is uh it's the same issue you know the lines need to be thicker those kids are going to Catholic school in the morning people in the rush to go to work to go to the hospital whatever um so i really recommend at nighttime it's also very scary down there because uh, people, you know, they're using substances and they don't see as well, they're in a hurry. So I really recommend that this, uh, especially in the Southeast District, Districts 9, 10, 11, you know, Sunnydale is going to be redone. There's going to be thousands of more people there. You know, they're going up to the church, the schools, you know, uh, to, um, I guess it's uh, middle school, Vision Valley Middle School. Then they have the elementary school down there uh, by uh, Vegetation Valley Playground. And then they have our uh, Church of Vegetation has Our Lady of Vegetation Catholic School. It's, it's, it's parochial. So this is a great need. And uh, and then if you go up up there, right close to my little Taylor, and then you have the other school. So the ramps are great. I mean, I, we needed to cut out so long, not the ramps, the cutouts on the corners. And that's great, but we need to go further with the thick lines because 
I mean, literally, it is life and death situation. I see people going strollers, uh, wheelchairs. Uh, uh, I use a cane periodically, you know. Uh, so anyway, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? I do not see any other members of the public who've indicated they want to make comment at this time. Thank you. Again, the word I'm just and Jamie, thank you very much. I hope this is the first time that we can walk together and please give us an update if there is any update that you want to share to us. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we are going to the next item of the agenda, item number seven, Vision Zero. San Francisco, safe street for all the adults and people with disability presented by Patricia Ewan, San Francisco Department of Public Health. Patricia, welcome to the council. Good afternoon. I think slides will be coming up. Thank you very much. Thank you. So um, again, my name is Patricia Irwin. I'm with the San Francisco Department of Public Health with the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch. And my pronouns are she, her, hers. And um, within our branch, the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch, we implement the Vision Zero San Francisco community engagement work focused on older adults and people with disabilities. So I'm really pleased to provide you that overview today. And if you could move to the next slide, please. So um, we abbreviate our branch. We often call it CHEP. So I may say that at times. So the Community Health Equity and Promotion Branch, our focus on community engagement within Vision Zero is through the Safe People Action of the Vision Zero Action Plan with a focus on supporting improvements in safe streets and um, educating seniors, older adults, people with disabilities about um, situations on the streets and how they can support making changes. And we do this through community partnerships, primarily funding community-based organizations, as well as some direct engagement with older adults and people with disabilities. Next slide, please. So as I said, our primary strategy currently is funding community-based organizations, our community partners. In the spring of 2022, um, we developed a request for proposals for community-based organizations. This was developed um, with, in partnership with MTA as well as the Mayor's Office on Disabilities. And it was, like I said, released in the spring. The focus was, again, increasing traffic safety for San Francisco's most vulnerable road users, specifically people with disabilities and older adults. 
And we are asking for strategies such as, you know, general community outreach, direct engagement to inform these populations, um, organizing neighborhoods around issues that may be happening, um, informing community members how they can become involved and support making changes, as well as other um, solutions that people may have or agencies may have had. The funding um, began in July of 2022 with an initial term of three years, possible extension up to six years. And next slide, please. So a major um, focus of our work in our branch, as well as the Department of Public Health, and specifically in this work on the Vision Zero SF work of community engagement is focused on equity. And in this work, um, what that means for us is focusing on the most vulnerable road users, as I previously stated, as well as communities generally experiencing dis disparities in health and well-being, as well as at times um, safety in the streets. That includes Black, Indigenous, people of color, as well as limited English proficiency. You um, um, back up like a little bit, you cut off. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you, yes. Um, is this, is this a slide that I should repeat? Yes. Okay. I, I apologize. No worries. Um, so again, a key part of our work, um, on community engagement is focused on equity. This is also outlined in the Vision Zero Action Plan. And, um, I know as a key important area of focus for us in the Department of Public Health as well. For our branch with this work on um, community engagement for Vision Zero, what that means is focusing on most vulnerable road users. So again, older adults and people with disabilities, other communities experiencing disparities, such as the black indigenous people of color, as well as limited English proficient communities, and then also having a focus on streets and the high injury network. This was the equity focus was a key element of the proposal review and the selection of CBOs. And next slide, please. The proposals were reviewed and a decision was made to award four community-based organizations each receive approximately $50,000 per year. Um, and you can see here on the slide, the four agencies are Senior and Disability Action Network, Chinatown Community Development Center, the Curry Senior Center, and the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. All of these CBOs are working with seniors and people with disabilities and in, at times on specific subgroups, for example, the blind or visually impaired um, or other subgroups um, may be an area of focus, um, depending on the area. For example, Chinatown, more of a focus on the communities living in that neighborhood. Again, their focus is on educating communities, supporting them and understanding more about safe streets, educating them and also um, teaching, you know, involve, providing opportunities for them to become involved in improvements. For example, some of the community engagement 
opportunities, community input through MTA. There's different opportunities um, on how they can provide input. And um, we are looking for these grants are just getting started. Again, they started in July of 2022, but it takes a little while to get things ramped up. We are looking forward to working with them and supporting these CBOs as they implement their programs, as well as in partnership with Mayor's Office on Disability and MTA. Next slide, please. This slide um, just provides a brief snapshot of some past accomplishments. So from 2018 through 2022, June of 2022, approximately four years, we also supported um, funded CBOs. And through this work, over 41,000 older adults and people with disabilities were reached, again, through education, workshops, social media, other engagement, and some had opportunities to engage in activities to support um, improvements and changes. Um, this work includes what was done during the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of the work continued. Much of it was virtual, especially during the initial period of the pandemic, which definitely you know, had an impact on the direct outreach and engagement. Um, but the work continued, and so we're really um, pleased that we were able to continue it and fund a new round of CBOs, um, again, starting just this past July. And next slide, please. So um, my final slide, I just would like to acknowledge um, Seth Pardo, who leads Vision Zero San Francisco for DPH as well as Julie Wong, who's the lead in this work um, and is currently out, so could not be here today, as well as Jennifer Doe, who supports this in, the, in our branch. And of course, our important partners at the Mayor's Office on Disabilities and MTA. And I'm happy to answer any questions if time allows. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Now I'm opening up to to my fellow council members for questions, please raise your hand or um, let me know if you have any questions to Patricia. I have a question for you, Patricia. I know that um, uh, in the past, um, there was uh, visits with this topic came to us and I raised a question in the past that asked specifically how many people with disability in more so on mobility, um, people with disability like wheelchairs, scooters, whatever, um, had a incident when it comes to market. Um, and one of the reasons for some of us Remember, just want to remind folks that one of the reasons 
vicious deal came about is a lot of people with disability um, had died because of incident running over and things like that. So my question to you is that, do we have any numbers or um, data on how many people right now or the past Julius um, had incidents when it comes to mobility, people with disability. So to make sure I understand, it's the, the question is, um, if we have data on the number of people with disabilities who have had incidents in the streets, like where there were severe injuries or deaths? When it comes to mobility, meaning wheelchairs, um, things like that. Right. I, I would need to ask my colleague in the Department of Public Health, our lead, um, Seth Pardo, and I can get back to you. I do know, um, although the numbers are high, there, there is, it's, it's relatively small and there is protected health information and, you know, to ensure that people are not, cannot be identified. So we may or may not be able to provide that, but I will definitely connect with Seth and get back to you either way, you know, let yeah. you know the information or um, if we're not able to share it, given what I said. Thank you so much. And um, I'm opening up the question to the staff. Please take one. I was just going to say through the chair, Alex, to your question, one of the things, hi, Patricia, how are you? It's nice, to see you. It's nice to see you. Thank you for being here. One of the things that um, we've done in the past uh, because of some uh, restrictions that we have around re release of information for specifically that hospital sensitive data is aggregate disability and older adult uh, numbers uh, in order to get to something to start. But I just wanted to say I'm, I'm, uh, Mayor's Office on Disability remains uh, interested in helping to figure out how we can best uh, present this information so we can be transparent to the public and still um, protect uh, the information that that needs protecting. So I just want to offer that forward. And then uh, to uh, my other question is, I'm, I'm so excited that we have the grantees that we have uh, for this coming cycle. And I, I'm wondering if there's um, any plan or opportunity. And if there isn't, again, uh, Amonti would be happy to help, but it would be great to convene the awardees uh, who are working on disability in senior uh, and older adult issues to learn from each other uh, what, uh, what they're doing and kind of how everything can be working uh, together. Um, I had the pleasure of being able to uh, review some of the proposals and there's all, there's some really excellent individual work that the grantees uh, will be doing, but there's also a fair amount that they have in common. And, and so it would be, that would be great to really uh, convene everyone and really talk about uh, disability in San Francisco as it relates to safe streets. 
Um, so I, I just wondering if there's any plan or opportunity for that. Yes, that's a great idea, Nicole. Thank you for raising that. And we can definitely, we are just getting the grantees going and finalizing the actual subcontracts, but let's let's be in touch. We'd love to do that. You know, Julie, as you know, who leads the work is out through the end of the year. We may be able to do something before that, but maybe early 2023 and we can, um, maybe we can work together and figure out what might be some good timing, like initially, and then maybe some periodic check-ins. Um, that, that's a great idea. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. We would, we would be absolutely happy to help with that. Thanks a lot, Patricia, so much. Thank you. I do, I do, um, well, um, stuff, remember, ask questions. No? Okay. Um, Craig, please open up to public comment. Uh, so a reminder to the public, um, you can make public comment by raising your hand and clicking the raise hand icon in the Zoom platform or by dialing star nine if you're calling in over the phone and you'll be prompted when it's your turn. You can also indicate that you want to make public comment by uh, writing so in the Q&A box or by typing your comment in the Q&A box to have it read by the clerk. At this time, I do see one member of the public interested in making public comment. Albert, you've been permitted to unmute. Hello, Zal Senov again. Um, I guess you'll be hearing about hearing my voice a lot more often, even if I don't get on the old uh, disability council. But uh, you know, I want to make a comment, and I want to also ask for um, see Manzel, which is right, runs up uh, from the Portland district all the way over to Excelsior. What happened was they put this uh, walking; they they separate, they took the separation away which that was actually originally designed to keep the cars separated with an island in between. So they made a walkway on on the, uh, I guess it would be the westbound side. And the east side is, is open to both. There's only a one little lane in between, like a mark. It's actually just a yeah lane that, that uh, separates the cars. So we've had head-ons. We've had Wrecking Park people die from getting heads on, head-ons when they first did it. But right there at Visitation and Manzel, they need to have those blinking lights, just like they do down when you're going towards Visitation Valley for Manzel and Visitation. They did by the school with the parking lot, where the teachers are, so that when the kids go to the uh, Burbank Trail um, to the Excelsior and they walk, they don't get you know killed. There's a lot of people driving fast here. My son got on head on. He messed up his back so bad. He hasn't worked since, and that's been, what, five years. And he's got serious uh, injuries, the spinal injuries, neck. You know, this is something that, uh, you know, might be called an oversight or something. Now, I'm driving up Manziel. I see a, uh, a sign, uh, you know, marking with the blinkers, but it's not working. It's right there in front of uh, Burton Academy High School. But I know for a fact that the one there at Visitation and uh, corner of the intersection of Visitation and Manziel, where now you have to go make a left, the buses that come around, I've seen so many um, 
close calls there. They really need the blinking lights there. They need the thick lines. They need to put stuff. Also, all over Grand Park, they they add. Okay, Jerry Garcia has no lines when you walk across. At none. Not even have cutouts or wheelchairs. And then if you do get up there, you're stuck by barriers in the park. Okay, if you go to the big park, I mean, the, they call it the group picnic area. There's no lines. They got cutouts, but they don't have enough lines. And there's no blinking lights. You would not believe how fast those cars go up and down the seven days a week, even if there's a big function. So this uh, might be an oversight, but I want to make sure that this is addressed. There's a life and death situation. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? I do not see any other members of the public have indicated they want to make comments at this time. Again, Patricia, thank you very much for coming today, and I hope this is first um, time first and coming more to come that we are working together on this topic. And please let us know if you have any more um, updates than the future. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Now we are on um, time that the council members um, have an opportunity to take a break for 15 minutes. Um, right now it's 2.35 and we will come back in 15 minutes, which is um, 2.50, I believe, if I if I'm the mistake. Um, so again, we are taking a break. We're coming back at um, SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Alex Winters. I'm wanting to call today for San Francisco Mayors and Disability. Today is of September 2010-2022 and I'll bring them back to the break. Now we are proceeding to item number eight, which is past one increasing in taximeters rate impacting on prioritized taxi fare and we're getting a presentation from Thorsten. Um, forgive me your last name. I'm Bayers from MTA. Welcome, Thank you. Um, hello, I am Forrest Barnes. I am a planner at the SFMTA in the Taxis Access and Mobility Services Division. Um, and I'm here today to discuss uh, a proposed taxi meter um, increase and the ways that um, prices might be changing for um, all riders and for the paratransit program. So, um, and if I could have my um, colleague Brady uh, pull up the um, presentation, that would be helpful. Yeah, um, can one of the hosts give me screen sharing abilities, please? One moment. No worries, thank you. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I believe you're you're a host now. Thank you. Oh, yep. Thank you. All right. Can you see the presentation? It is visible. Yes. Thank you. All right. Go ahead, Forrest. Um, so let's go ahead to the next slide. So um, I want to talk about today. Why is it that the SMTA is proposing to raise the taxi meter rate? Uh, the taxi meter rate has not been increased since 2011, um, and the rate increase goes directly to the driver. And since 2011, um, this graph was made last month, overall inflation in the Bay Area has been 45%, and it's been even higher for transportation and fuel in particular. Um, and so while we have looked at increasing various fees, like a fuel surcharge or other um, increases to ensure that drivers can still um, afford to live on um, the wages that they make from driving, uh, we decided that it, it's time to raise the rate uh, overall. So um, can we go to the next slide? Um, so currently, what our taxi meter rates are, are $3.50 for the first fifth of a mile or the flag drop. Each uh, fifth of a mile after that or fraction thereof is $0.55. Cents, and each minute of waiting in traffic or delay time is also $0.55. Cents. Um, we're proposing to increase these rates uh, to $4.15 to start a trip. 65 cents um, per fifth of a mile and per minute of delay time. 
that comes out to about an 18% increase overall, um, which is still less than inflation. Next slide. Um, so some of the, the trip characteristics overall um, for the median trip, uh, the first five months of this year, as you can see, the vast majority of the total component of the final fare that the customer pays is distance. Um, next slide. So, but as you can see, that changes for short, medium, and long trips. Um, and so trips less than two miles, the, the flag drop is 44% of the total um, cost. And for long trips, it is um, even higher percentage distance. The reason why I'm showing the slide to you all is because we had considered um, in other jurisdictions, they only raised the flag drop or other, um, other fees, and we thought that would affect unfairly short trips, um, and in particular uh, for our paratransit debit card users in this program. So next slide. Um, so I just want to give you a quick comparison across jurisdictions, um, what the current fare would be for a five-mile trip. In San Francisco, that's $19 now, and it'll be for an unsubsidized trip, $24 in the future, which is higher than other cities in the U.S., but at the same time, so is the cost of living here. Um, next slide. So other jurisdictions in the past few months have raised fees. And so trip surcharges were considered by staff. And as you can see, Houston, Seattle, Las Vegas, and Chicago all did a flat uh, trip surcharge. Next slide. While other cities raised the base drop, including Toronto and New York, um, and then other cities like Montreal and Los Angeles increased fares across the board, um, which based on the last time San Francisco raised rates and um, based on various equity considerations, we decided that it would be um, good to raise um, all of the fares at the same rate. Uh, next slide. Forrest, this is Nicole speaking. I'm wondering, can you explain for the group um, what a base drop is and a, and a, a flag drop again, please? Oh, yes. Uh, so um, let's go back a few slides to the initial, um, that one. Yes. Um, so just so everyone knows, and I, I know it's specific taxi terminology, um, but a flag drop is uh, the initial fee that you pay to get into the cab just to start the trip at all. Um, and then after that, there is distance and time. So um, you can kind of, other cities have different names for it, um, but you can consider flag drop and base fee to be the equivalent uh, cost. Thank you for reiterating that again. Yes, and then the other thing is something not considered here that other jurisdictions are doing are fuel surcharges, um, which we believe would just become permanent and that an overall change in the fare structure was more appropriate. So we also looked at um, fares based on the time of day or how long trips are structured. 
Um, and we're not proposing any other fair restructuring at this time, but may consider that in the future. Um, as of now, drivers are really hurting um, with the increase in costs and inflation overall. And so that's why um, we're going, we're proposing to raise it 18% now and then to uh, look in the future and see what might be other changes to the fare structure at a future date. Next slide. So here is an estimated cost impacts for a typical unsubsidized trip. So the, the median trip, you have your current flag drop cost, which is just to get in the cab, distance and wait time and tip. So that'll cost, the median trip would cost $16.04. The proposed uh, new cost after increasing distance, wait time, flag drop and tip, um, keeping that all the same comes up to $18.98. So the cost um, for a taxi trip between 2011 and 2022 would only be uh, a less than $3 increase. Um, next slide. Um, and then in particular for paratransit trips, which um, are subsidized 80% by the SVMPTA, and additionally, um, as part of this proposal, we would um, increase the total allotment that a paratransit rider could re request um, in order to make up for the increased costs. So currently the median uh, paratransit taxi trip um, costs $13.51. And of that, the rider pays 20%, which is $2.70. Um, and then the proposed increase um, comes out to $15.99. And so the rider's share after taking into account the SMTA subsidy comes to $3.20. So this will impact um, paratransit riders taking taxis um, and the median trip would increase by about 50 cents out of pocket. Um, next slide. And then additionally, the SMTA would increase the allotment for paratransit riders and for the essential trip card programs and maintain the subsidy ratio which as I had mentioned before, 80% of the trip is paid by the SMTA and 20% is paid by the rider. Um, and just as a quick overview, about 15% uh, of all taxi trips were paid for out of the um, paratransit debit card program in the last year. So um, on to the next slide though. Um, so some outreach and feedback that we've already conducted, we've gone to the SMTA Citizens Advisory Council, the tax industry quarterly outreach meeting. We've um, of course put this with the drivers with the Taxi Workers Alliance, the color scheme meetings um, with our SF Paratransit and Paratransit Broker Transdev, um, at the Paratransit Coordinating Council, the Multimodal Accessibility Advisory Committee, um, and as you can see currently here um, at the Mayor's Disability Council, we've also reached out to the Board of Supervisors offices and checked. Um, and then the, um, the feedback we got was generally from these groups that the increase was reasonable in comparison to inflation um, and that uh, taxi drivers are in need of a raise since 2011. 
Um, next slide. Um, so just for a quick note, the approval process for this proposed rate change. So right now we're gathering community feedback and taking comments, which you can always e email to us at sftaxi at smta.com. Um, the rate change would, must be approved by the SOMTA board. Um, it says here we're targeting a late fall um, meeting. I would actually say right now we're looking at an MTA board meeting of mid-October um, to take this to the MTA board. And then the rate change would take effect 30 days after that uh, board approval should the board um, pass the staff resolution. And, and that would take effect in mid-November. Um, so I just wanted to make everyone here aware of this proposal and take time to answer any questions that anyone might have. Thank you. Thank you, Francis. Now I'm going to open up to council member questions. Others, um, Helen, go ahead. Thank you, and thank you for that presentation. Um, it seems reasonable, right? I get it. Um, I don't know if you can answer this, but I've noticed that transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft are starting to charge a premium if you reserve, if you order a car in advance. Do taxis do that? Do you know that if taxis do the same? For taxis, you there is the amount that you pay is going to be based on the meter rate um, generally, and um, the um, the the calling a dispatch company ahead of time to arrange a ride should not cost you um, additional um, fees. Okay, it should not. You, you don't know for sure. Have you have you heard of this with the transportation network companies? Because it used to be the same amount, and now they're charging more for a scheduled ride. Um, I I have not heard of that specifically with Uber and Lyft, um, but I certainly believe you that that is happening. And um, for the taxi rate, just to clarify, it. It's you can just based on that. get your your pickup spot, or sometimes in the apps, um, Flywheel or Go Taxi, you can schedule a ride, um, and it should be based on what the meter rate. Um, these flag drop distance and time fees that we discuss. Okay, uh, thank you, thank you for your help in your presentation and for uh, for the outreach you've done to the other uh, community and, and stakeholders. Thank you. Other council members questions at this time. This is Sherry. Go ahead, Sherry. Um, I need to voice an opinion of that I don't feel that this is reasonable. I feel this 18% is quite um burdensome, burdensome for riders with disabilities. Um, I don't know anybody who receives social security disability who has received an 18% increase in their um, SSDI 
um, an 18% increase in that time frame. Um, yeah, inflation is off the charts right now. So if you compare anything to inflation, you can say that that's a reasonable increase um, and rationalize it that way. Um, not everybody uses paratransit or has the taxi voucher available to them. And using paratransit is absolutely not always an option for many reasons. And I can go into um, some of those reasons if you would like, um, <laughs> because some of them are not pleasant. Um, riding paratransit is not always um, a pleasant um, uh, adventure, so to speak. Um, so for that reason, some people really cannot use paratransit for, you know, their, their purposes. So to say that, you know, MTA um, subsidizes the trip 80%, well, in order to do that, you need to endure uh, a lot of, you just need a lot of patience and have plenty of time to take a trip on paratransit because you could take a five mile trip and end up going 20 miles or 30 miles out of your way in order to do that five mile trip. Um, so that's not always an option. So what I'm trying to say is, um, and also with this increase with the taxi fares, um, I also believe there's going to be a trickle down or up effect because that means SFMTA is going to be forking out more money and where is that going to end up? Who is going to be taking the fall or where is that going to go? Um, I just feel like the disability community is going to be the one that's going to be hurt the most. Um, that's quite a hike. And so I'm very much opposed to that. Thank you. Thank you. Other council members have questions at this time. Okay, I have a question before turning into the staff. Um, <clears throat> as you know, Porsches is a pirate taxi card that the pirate use of issue to a consumer and some, and I believe if someone pay $10, um, they added about $50 or $7 into the card, correct? And please confirm that. So now with this increase of pay, have you guys consider raising that up? Up to seventy or hundred bucks because of that increase of about 
Yeah, so you're correct about the um the the card with like the ten dollars to the the forty dollars um as, as we said in the presentation. So the the way that it would work is that the total amount of funds that you can put on the card and that the SMJ will match will increase. So you can request a higher allotment. Um and then Do you the, know how much is that? Um, I wish I had um, my colleague Jonathan on here to answer that exact question, um, but it's like at least 18% more to make up for the, the increased cost. Um, and so um, we would still maintain that 20% to 80% subsidy ratio, and then um, increase the total amount that you could put on your card with that. And then the second question I have is that how many percentage of people that use this higher transit are use this tax card? Because I'm speaking on my experience I use prior transit and I I have um uh, I can able to use taxi if I want to, but I don't use it as much because every time I call the taxi, they don't available the time that I wanted. So do you know how many percentage of those people that use pilot acid are utilizing that service and and with that what like if someone is using that are they possibility of increasing the fare of pilot moving forward? Um, okay, so there were, were a few points in there I want to address. One is we, we hear about the taxis um, not always being available at the times that people need. That is unfortunate. And then part of that is that during um, or earlier in COVID, a lot of drivers um, stopped driving. Um, and then that was also an ongoing issue before. Um, in terms of how many paratransit users also use taxis, I don't have that statistic off of my head um, available for you, but we do know that it is a very popular service and that um, previously, as in um, last year, um, it was up to 25% of all taxi trips were paid for with a uh, SMTA issued paratransit debit card. So what I can say is like as a percentage of total taxi trips, it's very popular. Um, and um, this program does generally um, help a bit with the, the circuitous uh, paratransit routes and so what, forth. What yeah, yeah I, I don't I, have that exact number. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint. You couldn't 
could detect itself by saying that, that a lot of people, you, you, you guys thought that a lot of this program is popular, popular, but that a lot of people complain about not getting right. So you can detect yourself, but I just want to point it out that I would suggest think looking into improving the service of the taxi before increasing the fare. Thank you very much. And I'm going to ask the staff if there is a question for the staff. Um, I, I hear you. I, I guess what I'm saying is the pop, the, the program is very popular and people wish that it worked better. Um, Thank and, you. Yes, that's, Thank I you. think, a better way to phrase it. Um, and then additionally, um, yeah, I, we hear you about the, the issues of service and part of the request to increase the fare is that drivers are um, haven't had a raise in 11 years and in fact like have made less and so part of that is that um, there's just not as many drivers um, and as you all might know there's labor shortages for drivers throughout the industry and so like um, part of the increase is to ensure that drivers can make a living wage and that there are more of them. So um, thank you for your comments though. Yeah, thank you. Um, Nicole, I think you have a comment or question. Yeah, are you, is that all? I, I didn't want to um, step over you, Alex. Is that all? Um, yeah, I think okay. we're going to the stuff, so. Okay, great. So <clears throat> thank you, Boris and, and uh, Brady for being here and, and to the council and to and to our presenters, I recognize that our paratransit and ramp taxi colleagues aren't here today, but I would encourage the council for any of these questions that um, Forrest hasn't been able to um, provide the specific answers. If you want to follow up with a letter or request, I, I think that they would be more than happy to get information um, to, towards that end. Um, so I would encourage the council to follow up on this. And then I would, I would say a couple of things. <clears throat> One uh, being that um, I, I hope that it, as you're presenting, is a plan to uh, present final findings of the public opinion in some format before it, as part of the presentation to the SFMTA board or, or what's the plan from here? Um, well, so e-routing has began today to send this to the SMTA board um, and that we have communicated what we've heard in all of the other outreach meetings, um, which generally was um, understanding. I guess I wouldn't say positive. I don't think people generally like increases in price, but I think people really understood um, the driver's predicament um, and increased cost. And so overall we've heard um, 
generally favorable um, uh, feedback on this topic and that it's um, reasonable and in fact significantly less than what inflation's been. Um, and so um, we'll be, we've presented that feedback to various supervisors. Um, and then as um, this goes to the MTA board, we will also present on what we heard here and in other outreach meetings. That would be great. I mean, I think, I think, I don't think there's any doubt from what I've heard that, that people under, uh, understand and, and, and empathize with the predicament of how, what it's like to um, be a driver and, and make a living in San Francisco. But I think also it's, it's, it's good to also present when there's not um, unilateral, unilateral agreement. And then also um, in those places where we have opportunity to maybe think about supplemental things that are, um, that we're also hearing from the community, like yes, and the, um, the availability of ramp taxis in particular is a challenge, which we know, and, and, and that sometimes paratransit routing isn't to the advantage of the rider, which we know. So, and, and really you know, working towards being transparent around those things so we can make improvements in those areas as well, because I, I do think, and, um, and I've, I've heard from wheelchair users and I'm a wheelchair user myself, it's just, it's getting harder and harder to um, get around with, um, with in an on-demand transportation model just because of uh, fewer options. And I'm a proponent of, of public transit and, um, and all of that as well. But sometimes you just need to go somewhere door-to-door. Uh, -door. And so really um, taking the time to, to uh, present all of the different opinions that we, that we hear on this and, and, um, and see what else we can do from this other feedback that arises out of it. Um, I think whenever we have an opportunity to do that, it's a good thing for the community as a whole. Uh, so those are um, some of my thoughts on whatever MOD can do to help um, with uh, convening folks or or um, finding interested uh, folks to talk some more about the other issues that are related to this. Um, we, we, of course, will do that. Um, that's where I'll stop and I see that uh, Deputy Director Kaplan is on. So uh, go ahead, Debbie. Thank you. Um, so as I'm understanding what is going to be proposed to the MTA board for paratransit riders, um, this change would not end up reducing the total amount of paratransit subsidy that they would be get that it would it, there would be an increase in the total amount of paratransit for the voucher so that this change would not end up reducing the amount that's available but it would have the impact of increasing the cost of each ride is that accurate I would say both of those things are accurate and yeah. the total uh, 
um, subsidy would go up and then uh, uh, writer's portion of the cost of the trip would also go up. Right, so it wouldn't reduce the number of trips available, but it still would increase the out-of-pocket costs that would have to be paid for using paratransit for each ride. Um, so I think in, in um, your presentation, it obviously is a pretty compelling argument um, that there has been a very um, negative impact on drivers um, of inflation and especially costs related to transportation. Um, and that that is, isn't fair and also uh, ends up making driving taxis less attractive as a way for people to make a living and reduces the, the drivers that are available. Um, I think though, you know, what struck me um, is that inflation has also had a major impact on people who are living on public benefits or are um, under, um, just have very, very low income. To start with, um, inflation has had the same impact um, on people who are living at probably on a month-to-month -month basis and may wind up um, just not being able to afford things at the end of the month, um, which is often what happens when people um, just basically don't have enough to live on. And I think that's true for many people with disabilities who uh, rely on public benefits and use paratransit. And so I'm wondering whether it, it seems like there's, it's just been a given that if there's gonna be an increase, that increase would also um, apply to paratransit taxi users. And I'm wondering if there has been any consideration of um, finding a mechanism so that paratransit riders, taxi users in particular, would not end up having to pay any increase out of pocket by finding another fund of money or going to the Board of Supervisors or whatever. Has that been discussed? Um, that has, with our um, accessibility team, um, this is, the, the proposal we came up with was based on the, the funding available, but I'm certain that that's um, something that we can take a closer look at to see um, if that's possible to find another funding source um, to cap the out-of-pocket um, writer costs. But I, um, that, had not been considered based on the, the funding available. Thank you. I now, um, I have a follow-up question, Ms. Before we go on public comment, it just came up to mind that um, I know 
I know that on your presentation is so solely on drivers and it's interesting to 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 see that this increase will be good for the people that serving meaning the service would improve as well, meaning MTA would have opportunity to to get more from taxi available to consumers. And it's sad to see that I, that we didn't see that or I missed a park. I think it would be good going forward or the next um, time that you guys do this, more telling people what can be beneficial. How could someone that only the drivers? Um, Denise, you questions? Thank you. I, I apologize. I realize the time for council members to make a comment has passed. No but I want to... Yeah, thank you, Alex. I wanted to say something with regards to Debbie's question about alternate funding resources to consider rather than impacting a population that already has difficulty, such as mentioned, they haven't received an increase. And now transportation for people with disabilities is more important than ever. As has been said before, you know, I support the drivers in in getting the necessary, I, and I know what you're proposing, the 18% isn't up to inflation, but it still is an increase for drivers. I understand the problem. If we get more drivers, the drivers come back to the industry, then the programs will hopefully improve. But I like the idea in the future, if it's not too late now, to consider alternate funding resources. And secondly, if it does pass, and the increase is passed on to those programs for seniors and people with disabilities. I would like to see, as mentioned earlier, services improve. So if we have to pay for the services on the, on the population that has the most hardship, then I think we should have access to those programs. So I think as recommended before, we need to continue to do outreach and work with you on these programs that are popular so people have access to whatever form of transportation, whether it's a script program through the taxis or a paratransfer or whatever. Um, the services need to be improved for what we may be impacting our pocketbooks and paying. So I'd always like those considerations and looking at those programs and how we can work with you to improve services. Thank you. Thank you. Now we're moving. Hang on. What were one was sorry, Alex. I'm so sorry. This is Nicole. I just <clears throat> what is the best way? I know this is going in front of the board soon. What's the best way for the council to be aware of when it'll go to the SFMTA board for a vote? There may be members here that would want to participate in that meeting or if they had follow-up uh, concerns that they wanted to present to the board, they would have, 
you know, time to do that if they so choose. Um, what is the best way to for them to learn when uh, when this will happen, when the vote might happen? Thank you, and I'm I'm sorry for uh, uh, interrupting you, Alex. Um, Sorry, to, to answer that question, Nicole, right now we're targeting, I am, um, I'm trying to like pull up the MTA um, board calendar right now, but it's the mid, um, the right. mid October meeting currently is when it's scheduled. And those, um, are, and those, yeah, if we could get a, like a closer date or. How do you yeah. say, uh, you know, looped in? Oh, sorry. Um, we are hoping for October 18th to be the meeting that we present to the MTA board currently. Um, and that's what we're planning on. But um, we, I guess, can email um, the council and let you all know if we end up getting bumped to a later meeting. But currently our target date is October 18th. And then the way to, um, if there's any comments that um, folks think of later, um, they can always email us at sftaxi at smta.com and to also um, ask um, to confirm that we're still on the October 18th MTA board meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now we're moving to public comment. Um, take this opening to the public comment. Okay, I would like to remind members of the public that you can indicate that you would like to make public comment by clicking on the raise hand icon within the Zoom platform. If you're calling in by phone, you can dial star nine to indicate you want to comment and you'll be prompted when it's your turn. Um, you could also indicate that you want to make public comment by typing so in the Q&A box or by typing your comment in the Q&A box to be read by the clerk. Thank you. At this time, I do not see any members of the public indicating they want to make public comment. All right, thank you for that. Again, thank you, Foster Barnes and um, Bernie for coming. And again, I just want to um, revoice that this is a big change, but think about what would impact to the consumer that only for the drivers. Thank you, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Now we are moving along to item number nine, which is correspondence. Do we have any correspondence at this time? Um, yes, there um, is uh, one email that was sent to the Mayor's Disability Council. Um, and received on September 22nd. It is from Mike Hodas, who wrote, I read with interest about the Bob Planthold Award. What about establishing an award for disabled people who are deceased 
but dedicated most of their adult life to improving access in San Francisco and statewide. Perhaps it can be a Hall of Fame type thing. It is a shame that so few people who were disabled and dedicated a good part of their lives to improving access for San Francisco's, but just get forgotten. And again, that's from Mike Hodas. And that is um, the only piece of correspondence that came in in the last month. Thank you. Um, now we are moving into the general public comment. Do we have any general public comment at this time? Um, so as a reminder to the public, you can raise your hand by clicking on the raise hand icon or by dialing star nine on the phone. You can also type your comment in the Q&A box um, to be read by the clerk or indicate that you wanna make public comment. Um, there's at least one member of the public interested in making comment at this time. Gabriella, you've been permitted to unmute. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Gabriella Solval, and I am the Community Program Specialist, too, with the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. And um, just a reminder to everybody that the State Council helps connect people to needed services and supports, strive to improve services and supports, and help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities become part of their communities. I will um, share my contact in the Q&A just in case um, the council would like to share that with any community partners or family support groups that may be interested in any of our services or trainings that we can support the community with. Also, we do have a regional advisory committee for uh, the Bay Area, and we will be meeting on Wednesday, September 28th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Um, I can also put that link in the Q&A if anybody would like to share it. Um, that will be via Zoom, and you can also find that agenda and Zoom link on our website, scdd.ca.gov. And lastly, one more thing I would like to share is that we do support community groups and service providers in securing PPE for people with disabilities, their families, and their DSPs. And you can email us if you know of a group that could use help securing PPE. Um, feel free to send an email to our Bay Area office, and that email is bayarea at scdd.ca.gov. That's B-A-Y-A-R-E-A -A -A at scdd.ca.gov. And that is all. Thank you. Thank you for your comment and that information. Thank you. Um, now, are there any council members have comments or announcements? 
All right. We are moving along to the last item of the agenda, which is adjournment of the objection. I'm going to adjourn the meeting, but before that, I just want to say thank you for um, MDC, uh, uh, MDC, um, uh, cousin members and bearers of disability, um, staff and interpreters and uh, um, the community and public comments. I just want to say thank you for the all for coming and I'm going to adjourn the meeting. And the next meeting would be October 21 at 1 to 4 would be on Zoom. Thank you and see you guys next month. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Everybody have a nice weekend. Deborah Kaplan does a lot of meeting.